0: Hey, I'm Matt Ruby. And I'm Rob Kramer. Welcome to another episode of Hell and Wellness. Yeah, I'm a comedian and
1: a writer and a man about town. I like the wellness stuff, but I also think there's a lot of nonsense in the woo-woo world.
0: And I'm a tech entrepreneur and writer who's been uh, chasing gurus for lots of years. I think I've gotten off that track. I've broken the habit, but, uh, you know, love all of the uh, sort of meditation, yoga, spirituality kind of modalities that I've I've, I've looked into. And we're going to see which ones are good, which ones kind of suck, and which ones you got to be careful about.
1: Modalities, such a good word. Well done. So yeah, I mean, that's the, the gist of this podcast. We try to separate the pretension and the BS from the stuff that's actually healthy. And, you know, as we're in the new year now, a lot of people embarking on their resolutions, you know, trying to lose weight, trying to get healthy, work out more, that sort of stuff. So we've got some topics that kind of uh, relate loosely to that, that I think, will be interesting to get into.
0: So in this episode, we are going to uh, talk about intermittent fasting, RunKeeper, that uh, nifty little app that keeps you focused and motivated while you're running, and the Stanford Marshmallow Test uh, that has some very interesting consequences on uh, society over the last 30, 40 years, but might actually not be what it was meant to be. Ready to get to it, Matt?
1: Yeah, I can't wait. Let's do it. And quick note, we are not doctors. This is not medical advice. Don't take us that seriously and change your life and inject things or anything like that. We're here to entertain you, to give you our perspective on the world of wellness. So please, before you do anything serious, check with the
0: doctor. We're gonna explore a relatively uh, new fad, certainly in the Silicon Valley, LA, New York uh, segment of our uh, American population. It's called, if you haven't heard about it yet, intermittent fasting. So what is this intermittent fasting thing? Basically what intermittent fasting is, it's a, it's an eating pattern. Uh, I guess we all have patterns of eating, but this is an eating pattern that cycles between periods of fasting and eating and eating and fasting. It doesn't really specify which foods you should eat, but rather when you should eat them. It's kind of like your mother saying, eat your veggies and you're going to be here at six o'clock. And that's when dinner is, that sounds pretty punitive to me. But I've tried a little bit of this. So basically it's not a diet in the conventional sense, but it's kind of more accurately described uh, as an eating pattern, as I said. Common intermittent fasting methods involve essentially um, daily 16 hour fasts or fasting for 24 hours twice per week. So those are the two most popular ones. Now when I say the most popular ones, those are the most popular ones in 2020. As many of you, have probably gathered by now. Fasting has been around from the beginning of time, so it's been a practice throughout human evolution. Uh, ancient hunter-gatherers didn't have supermarkets; they didn't have refrigerators or food available year-round. So sometimes they just couldn't find anything to eat. So it was kind of a forced upon. It was part of the being a you know being an, a Neanderthal hunter-hunter gatherer. Um, so as a result, humans evolved to be able to function without food. For extended periods periods of time so in fact fasting from time to time is actually a more natural way you know always eating three or four or more meals per day little small meals in america we obviously eat breakfast lunch and dinner at least many of us and we eat these big huge meals and it's like the three squares um not necessarily a good thing apparently according to the the health professionals but fasting is also often done for religious or spiritual reasons um islam uh, people who are practicing in islam or christianity or even judaism or buddhism um, actually subscribe to what they probably didn't call intermittent fasting but certainly fasting so there's a few there's several different ways of doing intermittent fasting um, all of which involve this splitting the day or week into eating and fasting periods Um, and so during these fasting periods you eat either very little or nothing at all. The people I know or the types of things fasting I've done don't eat anything at all during um, these, let's say, three most popular methods. So, one of the methods is called the 16 8 method. Um, it's also called the lean gains protocol, kind of a fancy term, but it involves skipping breakfast and restricting your daily eating period to eight hours, uh, could be 1 to 9 p.m. And then you fast for 16 hours in between. So that's the 16-8 method. Then there's the eat-stop-eat method. Eat-stop-eat, eat-stop-eat. This involves fasting for 24 hours once or twice a week, uh, for example, by not eating uh, from dinner one day until dinner the next. So that's the eat-stop-eat. And then there's another method that's been popularized called the 5-2 method or the 5-2 diet. And with this method, you consume only 500 to 600 calories on two non-consecutive days of the week, but eat normally uh, the other five days. I can tell you that the reason I've never tried the 5-2 diet, because even as I explained this to you, I am still confused. I have absolutely no idea how to track that, and my brain just goes crazy. So what are some of these benefits? Well, by reducing your calorie intake, all of these messages... Should one should cause some weight loss if that's what you're into and you need to lose some weight, uh, as long as you don't compensate by eating much more during the eating periods. Um, many people who have done these methods or have tried maybe all of them, find that the sixteen eight method uh, is definitely the simplest, it's most sustainable and easiest to stick to. It's also the most popular. I actually started doing the sixteen eight method. Sometimes you can do the. The twelve, twelve method, you know, people modify because they can't really go for sixteen um, hours. but um for the for for the most part, you know, these are several different ways to do intermittent fasting, and all of them split the day or week into eating and fasting periods. I tried is this it, thing. Is for this a while. supposed to
1: make you healthy or just lose weight?
0: Well, you know, I've never been someone who needed to lose weight. So in fact, this is one of the sort of unintended consequences of intermittent fasting for me is I get too skinny, uh, lose too much body fat, but there is something, and this is really going back to sort of fasting and religion. Um, you know, when I fast, I get super high. I mean, I actually just like get so high that I can't do anything else, but be in the moment. And so, you know, um, in religions of ancient peoples and civilizations, I mean, fasting was this practice to prepare per people, uh, especially priests and priestesses, or maybe rabbis and uh you know, mullahs, whoever, to to approach the deities. I mean, this is what this was like their channel, their path into approaching the deities. And like in the Hellenistic sort of mystery re- mystery religions, like the um the gods were thought to reveal their divine teachings and dreams and visions, and only after a fast that required the total dedication of the devotees. So um, it's like this very religious kind of spiritual awakening. Of course, what have we done? We've taken these ancient sort of practices. Matt, you and I are going to cover a lot of them on Hell and Wellness and what do we do we consumerize them we package them we sell them to your point like snake oil salesmen and they become something completely different and it's really like this you know cocktail chatter hey matthew are you uh, intermittent faster like and it becomes this weird sort of you know badge of honor so that's my experience i've done it a little bit i didn't do it for very long i'm a believer of it in terms of like getting a little bit high and a little bit focused and aware of like the deities, I suppose, my version of the deities. But like, I I guess if you want to use it for weight loss, that's cool and it'll be effective.
1: It's interesting to me that the word intermittent is used in it because intermittent to me, the, I when I hear it used most often is intermittent variable rewards which is, you know, uh, how turning your your phone into a slot machine, basically how there's bright colors and things and, and why we want to check email and check our likes on Instagram all the time is that this sort of randomness of it appeals to us. And so I'm wondering if in some way what that does to the brain, you know, how, how uh, Twitter makes you feel as if you're playing a slot machine. I wonder if this is doing something to your body in a similar way. That's just sort of like, like shocking and keeping it on edge and sort of your body's like wait what's going to happen next in a way that your your body's engaged a lot um for me i like I, I i love eating so this would be really hard for me i mean the only times i really fast is you know uh, if it's a jewish holiday or i'm about to do psychedelics those are kind of the times when i'm fasting and you know i got to be honest like i i do know you know some friends who've done intermittent fasting and they did lose some weight on it um, and they they've stuck with it um, but also I, when they talk to me about it, I'm just like, oh, you mean you're anorexic? Like, isn't this just an eating disorder to go like, you know, or six, 16 hours a day without eating? Did that make you lose weight? Yeah, I saw that with a bunch of teenage girls. I knew it's this isn't like a news flash that if you don't eat, you lose weight. So that to me always seemed like a, a weird aspect for it. So I guess maybe that would be my question. What's the difference between this and being anorexic? Or is there
0: uh- well, good point. I guess that if you, once again, you know, we talk a lot about moderation, including moderation, everything in moderation, including moderation. And some people just take things to the extreme, especially in the sort of uh, hell and wellness uh, sector of the world. And I think that you might be right that some people might use this in a in unfortunate ways uh, and take it to the extremes and become an anorexic or uh, perhaps uh, bulimic uh, as well.
1: Yeah, or have we just rebranded anorexia? Is this just like a great marketing shtick? You know, they took anorexia boy, like this really has a bad Q score. How can we how can we reboot anorexia and make it appealing to a new generation? They're like intermittent fasting. We got it. This this can sell.
0: Well, let me actually actually let me let me let me be a little contrarian here for a moment because I so one of my yoga teachers, a woman named Lisa Walford, and Lisa Walford's father, Dr. Roy Walford, was the authority on the low caloric intake diet. He called it the 120-year diet. And he was the doctor, if you remember the Biosphere 2, where they recreated the biosphere inside this bubble, he was the medical doctor inside there. And Roy Walford wrote this book, 120-year diet. 120-year diet, scientifically, after 30 years of uh, uh, a lab at UCLA, seemed to prove that if you do uh, low caloric intake um, diets, and you do intermittent fasting, that you stress your body less. Uh, your mitochondria, which give you the, the energy, uh, are less stressed, and therefore they will not deteriorate as quickly over time. And you could potentially live to 120 years. Um, we've heard about the telomeres uh, and the you know the short sort of tips of uh, sort of the neurons and the dendrites in the brain that they will deteriorate less. So there's a lot of stress when we're eating too much food. And we in America tend to, you know, we tend to overeat.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I go back to is like, this seems like just sort of like an American kind of sickness and an antidote to something that's like a deeper problem, I feel like in Japan people don't need to do intermittent fasting. I think uh, people who live along the Mediterranean don't need to do intermittent fasting because they're eating, you know, stuff that's healthy in Japan, like rice and sushi, and you know, in, in the Mediterranean, uh, olive oil and lemons and vegetables and you know, fish and, you know, not like an avalanche of meat and not all the poison that we eat. So I, I've got to wonder how much it is a response to our specific sort of culture and the diet that we have here in America, as opposed to, is this actually like the healthy way for everyone in the world to be eating?
0: Absolutely. And I think that just to kind of, you know, put a finer point and sort of wrap this, uh, this notion up, but whether we think this is hell or wellness, I mean, I think that for sure, anything that's lasted for thousands of thousands of years, fasting in general, Probably a good thing, but probably more in the religious, spiritual, get close to the gods or whatever you believe in. Uh, but the notion of using it as a sort of dieting tool or something to kind of like, you know, uh, brag about at, uh, uh, in a yoga class might not be such a good thing. So I'm going to give intermittent fasting a mostly hellish kind of uh, vote. I'm thinking it's more leaning towards the hellish-ish thing.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, my big thing is just the sustainability of it. It doesn't seem like something that someone would sustain over, you know, years of their lives. And if it's not for diet, if it's not something you can sustain, sometimes I really wonder about the efficacy. And yeah, I don't know, I gotta say, it sounds a lot like rebranded anorexia, you know, for, for uh, a mass market in a way that I, I gotta call it hell. Yeah. Right, Rob. So it's been a hell of a quarantine. Uh, how have you been on the exercising? Have you, has this changed your exercise
0: lifestyle at all? The exercising has actually increased, believe it or not. I feel like I'm in better shape during the quarantine than I was uh, pre-quarantine. Kind of weird.
1: Yeah, it's also like a good excuse to get out of the house. I feel like I've definitely been on my exercise game just as a way to not be inside these walls for longer than I have to be, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about for this segment is an app called Runkeeper, and basically, like, this is talking about fitness apps in general. I think there's uh, other ones out there, like uh, what's it? Strava is one that a lot of people use, and Couch to Five K is another one. But basically, Runkeeper is an app that comes from Asics, and it's a way you you go running, you, you push start, it tracks you know GPS stuff the same way you know a Fitbit or a watch GPS watch does, and uh, how far you've run, the speed. That you've gone, uh, there's you know elevation that you've climbed, and all these different things. And I'll tell you, I wasn't a big runner before this pandemic, and it's been sort of my outlet for getting out of the house. And I've I've really been going hard every other day, and this app has been an integral part of my running and kind of feeling like I'm. I won't say like I'm accomplishing something, but you know it's been really interesting to notice. You know my here's how fast I'm running my for a mile. Here's how much distance I've covered. Uh, and, you know, it's like that old adage, you know, you, you only improve what you measure. Um, and I wouldn't say I've necessarily improved a lot in running, but I, I just feel a little bit more mindful about all the running that I've been doing. And in a way that I was never really engaged with any of these health or fitness apps before that it's changed during quarantine. Have you ever tried one of these? You know,
0: I haven't. I'm not much of a runner. I'm a ocean swimmer. I'm a biker. And uh, all my friends ha- are using these apps or they're using them on their iWatch. I've never been a big proponent of them just because I feel like, you know, the more uh, I am measuring something, the less time I'm spent being present with the experience of swimming or cycling. So uh, I tend to not get a, caught up in the metrics. That said, I can totally see the value in them. And uh, I know that they're very popular. What is there, like 80 million people or something using RunKeeper?
1: Yeah, I don't know the numbers, but it's definitely, once I started talking about it, people seem to have you know all heard of it, at least if they're runners. And I guess you tapped into something, which is that I don't think I like running that much. <laughs> you know, I've sort of been running because I have to do it because my gym's closed. I'm usually on the elliptical, you know, watching TV while I'm doing stuff. And so I, I think it's maybe taken something that I'm not a huge fan of in an organic way and given me a little bit more focus on it. You know, I'm not definitely not one of these people training for a marathon or anything like that. My, my marathon theory is uh, anything that you have to tape your nipples before doing, that's the universe's way of saying, don't do that thing. You know, I feel like uh, marathons, you know, if someone's like, oh yeah, it's really fun, you might have to take a shit behind a dumpster, but other than that, it's going to be a really positive experience. And I'm like, yeah, no, I I did enough of that in college, you know.
0: So wait, being, being the non-runner here, you have to tape your nipples before before you run a marathon
1: that's what they do there's a lot of abrasion that goes i i don't do it for my little you know five mile runs but uh for uh these serious runners that's that's what you're doing at the marathon this is how crazy they are rob
0: i'm this is must be why i'm not a runner because i am not a fan of taping my own nipples so
1: yeah yeah well this is it's one of my favorite things about you really um (laughs) And I will say, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm thinking of some negative attributes to Run Keeper one, I've been mobile during this pandemic. So I've been sometimes, you know, running out in nature in like hilly environments or you know, on a dirt path, and other times on a road or more like a track sort of thing. And that totally like messes with your, you know, sort of mile times and like your distance run. And like you so I, I sometimes I'll look at just the plain old numbers and I'll feel like a failure, and then I'll have to remember no, I was running, you know, on this dirt path where obviously I'm going to be slower than when I'm on a city street.
0: So when you're running and you've got this RunKeeper app going, are you actually monitoring it on RunKeeper while you're running? Or do you actually look at it once you're done and say, oh, this is the distance, this is the speed, this is the tempo?
1: Well, here's where it gets interesting. There's an audio voice cue that you can set up where every five minutes a voice appears in your headphones telling you how far you've run, you know, what's your your mile time and and stuff like that. And that's actually one of the most interesting parts of the app. You can actually choose what kind of voice that you want to hear while you're running. And they have the default one that's sort of like this boring lady, like your your typical Siri one. But uh, then you can choose a drill instructor. I'll show you what that one sounds like here. Let's move. See that's way too. <laughs> that's way too ambitious. Let's see what happens when I'm done. Hooray, hooray. Activity completed. Woo! Doesn't that look beautiful? Here's your workout summary. Total time: seven seconds. Total distance. Okay, I, I think we. I think we. I feel it. like right. I would. I would. So this drill sergeant I, is is over the top.
0: Minutes, 13, yeah, I I kind of feel like. uh Yeah. Okay. You can shut him up now because he's really (laughs) fucking bugging me. But I feel like if I had that guy going on my ear, I would be scared. Like, but there's one thing. Is there a feature? He's terrible. Okay. He's terrible. But is there a feature? It sounds pretty sophisticated. Is there a feature where the app will actually run for me? Because I would really like that.
1: Oh, there isn't, although I'm sure it's coming, you know, the same way there's going to be an app that meditates for you. You know, it's just a matter of time, but uh, but we're not done with the voices. I got a couple other ones that I want to show you. Clearly the drill sergeant's terrible. He also keeps insisting that he's not here to make me cookies, which I don't know if that's some sort of drill sergeant lingo or what, but I'm not comfortable with any of it. So definitely don't do the drill sergeant. Let me, let me give you one of the other voices they got here though, because it's pretty entertaining. This one is Boston sports fan. Boston Fan is what it's called, and where do you hear this guy? All right, kid, pull your pants up, tie your shoes. Activity started. Time for a Dunks run. Gotta get that heart rate back up. So, so that's Activity a, he's. Paused. So he's telling you. Activity completed. Workout <laughs> summary. Here are some of your stats, kid. Total time: seven seconds. Total distance: zero point zero one miles. Average pace: twenty minutes forty seconds per mile you're doing a great job you're making your mom and dad proud so you're basically like an extra in like a ben affleck matt damon movie so he does actually say how you like them apples at one point and then he says no one likes apples he talks about donkeys which I don't understand why people from Boston are so obsessive about Dunkin' Donuts coffee. But like, who thought this was a good idea? What percentage of the population wants to hear someone tell them that they're wicked fast or whatever is going on? So I don't know how you feel about the Boston fan, Rob.
0: You know, I have to say as a a Steeler fan, I just don't, I don't think I can hang with that guy. I can't uh, go out for a beer with him after the run. I don't want to talk about the Red Sox. I don't want to talk about New England Patriots for sure. So, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to find myself another app if I'm going to use one of these.
1: Hold on right there, because just when you think all the voice choices are terrible, allow me to introduce you to Mademoiselle.
0: Activity started. Et voilà. That was great.
1: <laughs> so, I love that. She tells you you're great before you've even done anything. So, I, I, I appreciate that level of encouragement. And then here's activity what activity
0: posed. Et voilà. It is the end. Workout summary. Total time, 10 seconds. Total distance, 0.02 miles.
1: Wait, which she's going to tell me I'm great.
0: What? 43 seconds per mile. Whoa. Bravo.
1: Good job. I like so much having this French woman tell me how great I've done. Oh, ooh la la, you're good. I I want her in my whole life to be like, ooh la la, Matt, you're good looking. You're very handsome, you know? I just want her all around me all the time. So that's definitely my go-to audio voice on the app. So I got to say, like, I applaud them for trying to have some fun with these voices. Most of them are god-awful. But I do kind of like the French chick, I guess I got to admit. So
0: Well, this might motivate me to become a runner. Yeah, you never know. There you go.
1: Yep. Other downfalls of the app, I'd say it's a little bit glitchy. Sometimes it just stops randomly, which is super annoying when you're trying to gauge how long you're running for. And also it doesn't factor in hills. Like sometimes it'll it'll be like... You know, you ran up this huge hill and it knows it, but it doesn't factor that into my run. I don't know. I guess there's something frustrating to me that it treats every run the same, regardless of what terrain you're on. But all that said, overall, I've had a good time with RunKeeper. It's an app that I thought I was just going to use once and be like, this is a waste of time. But you know what? Every time I go running now, I use it. So I'm going to call it Well.
0: I'm kind of not particularly sort of on one side or the other, but it sounds kind of hell to me, having that woman or that drill sergeant, especially for people that want to get motivated to start running. I don't think this is where I would start with uh, these types of apps, but I'm glad you like it, Matt.
1: Thanks. You're allowed to not like it. That's fine. (laughs)
0: We're going to talk about something that I think falls into the category of everything in life, science, experience, business, politics, everything affects our health and our wellness. And for those of you who may or may not know, uh, there was a study, a very, very consequential social science study back in uh, the late 1960s called the Marshmallow Test. And it was a study that was um, led by a psychologist at Stanford University, Walter Mischel. And in this study, what happened is a child was offered a choice between one small but immediate reward or two small rewards if they waited for a period of time. So they gave about 90 kids that were in the study. They gave them each a marshmallow. And they said, look, for those of you who wait 15 minutes uh, you're going to be rewarded without without touching the marshmallow. You're going to be rewarded with another marshmallow. Some of them actually were rewarded with a pretzel stick. They did it with pretzel sticks, marshmallows, but it was called the marshmallow test. And for those who actually touched or ate the marshmallow prior to the end of 15-minute segment, uh, they couldn't delay their gratification. They actually were not rewarded with another marshmallow. But in in fo- in follow-up studies, the researchers found that The children who were able to wait longer for preferred rewards tended to have a better life, uh, better outcomes in their life. And it was measured through SAT scores and educational attainment and even body mass index and other life measures. This became a very, very important study in terms of how most people who were probably over the age of, I don't know, 30, 35, were treated and affected um, uh, throughout their educational life, their social life. Because what they basically looked for is they looked for people who had um, sort of impulse control, people who were able to actually control their impulses and not go for the marshmallow before that 15 minutes was up, Uh, and that it really correlated quite well. And they would be tracked accordingly through some of these ways that, that I just discovered. Well, what's interesting is that this affects how people grew up, how health, healthy or well they were psychologically, socially, um, educationally, et cetera. Well, it turns out that what happens in our society is that we tend to subscribe, we tend to be seduced by a lot of these types of social science studies. You know, one day drinking red wine is good for you, the next day it's not. One day it's about fat, the next day it's about carbohydrates. So lo and behold, after decades and decades, certainly my entire adult childhood and adult life, um, they came back around to this study. And in about 19, I'm sorry, about 2018, uh, there was a new study that was published. And the new study con uh, basically cast this entire concept of the marshmallow test into doubt. And these researchers at NYU and at UC Irvine, they restaged the classic marshmallow test and said this time instead of the original uh, 90 students, uh, the results were based which were the results were based on, um, they who were only by the way enrolled in a preschool on Stanford's campus. Uh, the researchers in this 2018 study used a sample that was much larger. It was more than 900 children and it was representative of the general population in terms of race and ethnicity and, and parents education. And basically what they they ultimately discovered is that the new study found that found limited support for the idea of, that being able to delay gratification leads to better outcomes. And in fact, it suggested that the capacity to hold out for a second marshmallow uh, is shaped more in large part by a child's social and economic background. And in turn, that the background, uh, their background, not the ability to delay gratification, is what a kid's long-term success was predicated on. So here it is. We've got this study. We all believed it. We went to school. We grew up with it. Something that, if you can quote its results at a cocktail party, you were, you were kind of in the social science now. But here we go, 40 years, 50 years later, not so much. Didn't doesn't look like it was uh, so effective when they tried to recreate it with a much larger sampling, with a much larger cross-section. So it's interesting that we believe these things. We subscribe to these things as a society. They affect our health, our wellness, our psychological being. And then 40, 50 years later, oh, sorry, few generations. We fucked up. It doesn't actually work. It's meaningless. Go have a marshmallow. I don't know. What do you think about this kind of thing, Matt?
1: well to me it's interesting how much we want this to be true it's almost like a fairy tale or a religious sort of you know moralistic uh story that we want to use to teach children and others how to behave that uh uh delayed gratification is a good thing if you just have if you have no impulse control if you just lunge at things all the time then it's going to be a problem for you in your life you're you know that's the kind of person who winds up in jail or has other bad things happen to them uh and you know but the person who can be patient if you're if you can be patient and you know you know invest in the long term and think about things uh over the long haul then your entire life will be better this is a great fairy tale that we want to tell our children and maybe it's not a fairy tale. This, I think, we need to leave room for the fact that this study may be BS, but the concept behind it may actually be true. This whole, uh, I believe, it's called high time, high time preference versus low time preference thinking. And if uh, low time preference is when you're you can put things off and and wait a long time if it means bigger rewards down the road, whereas high time preference means you just you have no impulse control, you want it now. And the way I always remember that is high time preference means you really want to get high. And uh, that that's my way of thinking about it. But the fact that we want this to be true is a very interesting aspect of it to me.
0: Yeah, uh, I would agree. You know, one of the interesting thing I found about the test, which I tend to believe in the new study, was that they discovered that people who come from uh, wealthier backgrounds were much more capable of delaying gratification. But the kids that came from the lower socioeconomic classes who saw a marshmallow or a pretzel, they're like... This might be my last marshmallow. I may not get fed tomorrow. Like this idea that like, you know, the hunter-gatherer comes upon the berries and is like, "Oh shit, I better gorge myself on sugar on these berries because I may not see berries for 3 more years." And that's what's really kind of insidious and destructive about these these tests that to your point, we want to believe but have a really impactful effect on uh, our society and our psyche.
1: Yeah. And if you've got a bag of marshmallows at home, to your point, you can wait a little bit longer for the second one. If, you've, if you if you're starving, you're going to be like, no, nah, I'm going to grab that marshmallow now. We'll worry about this later. Um, I think it also taps into something larger. You know, the, you know, we all believe the study for so long and then we now we find out it's maybe BS, if not the concept, the study at least uh, and how science Science is always like overturning itself and it's sort of like it's great strength and its great weakness. And I kind of th- I think about that in terms of, you know, the pandemic and everything, how we're, if and when we come up with a vaccine, one third of this country, if not more, is probably not going to take it because they think they're putting microchips in us or there's some other you know nonsense going on or they don't want to risk it. And I want to be one of these people or, you know, go to climate change, people not believing in climate change. And you want to shake people, be like, believe the science, believe the science. But then stuff like this happens and you're like, uh, oh, maybe sometimes don't believe the science. You know, oh yeah, remember we spent 30 years telling you margarine was better than butter? Yeah, we were kind of full of it back then. You know, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're a science and you should trust us, but also we're constantly admitting that we were wrong about stuff before. And how that's part of why people don't trust science as much as we wish they would.
0: That's right. And look, if a second, you know, a, sen- a second marshmallow seems completely irrelevant when a child has reason to believe that the first one might vanish, and I think that it's a bit of a it's a bit of a metaphor for uh, for life. You know, those who have know that they're probably going to build on the have and, and get more, and those who don't have are going to go. This is all I got. I got to deal with it right now, and uh, I'm just going to take a bite out of the marshmallow.
1: I do also think impulse control is a huge factor in people's lives. I mean, I've seen you know prison documentaries where they talk about how many. People in prison are because they made some split-second decision out of anger that they couldn't uh, resist, and now they're paying for it for the rest of their lives. Um, and the fact that you know if people are able to like control their urges and kind of be patient and take their time with things, I do think that will help you overall in life and can lead to some some definite advantages. So I I, I don't uh, dispute the underlying theme that I think is part of why this this uh, you know study became so resonant in our
0: culture. Yeah. So overall, look, I think that uh, impulse control is, to your point, a very important thing to be aware of. Uh, It is good to control your impulses in many situations. Uh, We see this quite often uh, in terms of the example you gave criminally. We've also seen it politically these last four years, how impulse control or lack thereof can be very destructive. At the same time, uh, the notion that there is one type of person on one type of trajectory. And that's the person that waits for 15 minutes to eat a marshmallow. And that is the only person that is going to succeed. To me, it's a little bit of bullshit. I'm calling, uh, I'm going with the 2018 study and I'm calling hell on the marshmallow test.
1: Clearly, you know, sense that this test was poorly conducted, And that it's, uh, you know, we have found that it's not uh, completely true, can't be replicated at least. However, I think the concept behind it is a great morality tale for children. And it's a good thing in our culture that seems to completely lack any sort of impulse control that just wants everything now that's incapable of long term thinking, that just eats fast food and like wants fast food for the brain and like, you know, can't handle like a, a book and needs everything in sound bites. I think we need more of that mode of thinking within our culture. So despite the issues that we've had with this study, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's well.
0: Thanks for listening to Hell and Wellness. I'm Rob Kramer.
1: And I'm Matt Ruby. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can leave voice messages for us at anchor.fm slash Wellness. That's anchor.fm slash Wellness. You can also see all the shows there. And you can email us at hellandwellness at gmail.com.
0: And if you remember, please uh, rate us and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Say something nice. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.